Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. All right, welcome to the Sends Nation podcast, recording on a beautiful day here on Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Coming up today, who faces more job pressure next season? Is it DJ or is it Pierre Dorian? We'll also get into Ian Mendez's column on Daniel Alfredson, asked him a bunch of questions, including, are you still interested in being part of this organization? And did the Sens bail on drafting Andre Vasilevsky back in 2012 over a missed meeting and a sunburn? All still ahead today here on the Sens Nation podcast. Of course, brought to you by Jim K. Ford. Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve, because Colorado is up 2 nothing. Loving every minute of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a no-doubter in game two. That was not the not the wild shootout. We didn't know what was going to happen. That was pretty much Colorado from start to finish in game two, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they are just way too much for the Oilers. Uh, it, maybe they, the Oilers have a different... Uh, have a different outcome in game three, but I, I'm sorry. I cannot see the Oilers in any way, shape, or form winning four of the next five. Cannot. I can't see it. How about that weird offside call in game one where Kale McCarr goes in and scores? It's challenged by the Oilers, and the whole nation, I thought, probably thought, okay, definitely offside by a considerable margin, but no, somehow, some way, it's ruled, no, that's good. That's onside. That's a good goal. And it made a huge difference in the outcome of that absolute shootout. What did you think of the offside call there? Uh, by the letter of the law, it is correct. And but it was it, Makar accidentally followed the rules. <laughs> Does that make any right. sense? Yeah. It, picture it yeah, this way. I don't way, think Steve. you did it on purpose. You're, you're you're playing a game of hockey. You're outside the blue line. The puck comes out. It bounces off your shin pad and goes into the zone. You know your teammates in there. It, the puck is like six inches in front of you. You stand there and you wait. You watch for your teammate to leave the zone. Then you step in, touch the puck, and go. That's all good, and we know that that's good and not offside. That's essentially what happened here, except he didn't really mean to wait to touch the puck. He just kind of missed it while he was coming in with it. Right? It was an accident. Yeah. Yeah, the intent, the spirit of the rule all seemed to be in violation. I honestly didn't realize that because you, you just so rarely see it where you got a guy offside and a guy's carrying the puck in and he just basically stops making contact with the puck just long enough for his buddy to clear. You know, at first I was absolutely certain it was offside. And now that I've read more about the offside rule, now that I've watched it from every angle, I say, oh yeah, I guess I, guess I get it yeah. now. Yeah, and, and guys have done it intentionally, like a, like the sort of situation outlined there. Like the, the puck is there, you know it's there, it's only a foot in front of you, but you wait, right? You're, there's nobody else near you. You just kind of stand there and wait, and you look and you wait, and the guys leave the zone, then you step in and go. That's intentional. That happens all the time. You you, you see that, but you, you probably don't even notice because there's no call, right? But in this case, that's exactly what happened, except he, he was trying to touch the puck. He was trying to carry the puck with one hand. He just missed yeah. it while it went up on edge and rolled for a bit. So, hey, you slow it down, you minutely look at it. Yeah, by the letter of the law, it's uh, it's onside. So let's get into more Sens-centric stuff, because there is a, a lot going on. There's always a, it's, It always seems to be busy here in Sens land. So our friend Ian Mendez had an interesting article in The Athletic, and he had Daniel Alfredson on for an interview. There's lots of good stuff in there, but I think the highlight thing is, and it's the question that every Sens fan has, 
where do things stand with Daniel Lofferson getting involved with the Sens down the road? And this was his answer. Alfie said, I'm open to listening. And I think everybody knows my commitment to Ottawa and the team here. And that's the team that if I was ever going to do anything, this is where I would do it. But there is nothing in the plans right now. And I haven't spoken to anybody about something imminent, but it does interest me. If the timing is right and the circumstances were right, I would definitely be willing to talk. And if there's interest from the team, then it could very well be possible. Yeah, I found it. The the one line that kind of jumped out at me was the fact that he said he hadn't spoken to anyone. I mean, the rumors are all over the place that he's part of a a potential group in an ownership uh, situation. So I found that one a little strange, but it's truthful. There's nothing imminent. I I fully agree. There's nothing imminent. Uh, I'm sorry. I I just, in my opinion, I'm 100% convinced that he will be back in some way, shape or form. I'm not sure what that will be, but he'll be involved. Be it same ownership group, the present ownership group and, and mended fences, or be it a new ownership group and he's he's involved. I just, I, I, I can't believe that he won't be back. I, I think he will be back, but I think it will be with a new group. Um, I have a feeling that if nobody's talked to him with this group by now, that maybe there's not an interest yet in mending fences. So I will go a little against the grain on you there and say that... I, I'm, I'm, I'm. As time marches on, more and more, I'm thinking that the team will be sold at some stage. Just thinking about the circumstances, mm-hmm. and I think at that stage, Alfie either gets invited into the mix in, you know, some executive capacity, maybe a small ownership share ambassador role. I think, uh, I think that's the way it will get done. I just don't see it happening because it feels to me like nothing much has changed in terms of the direction and the instructions toward the new ownership group. So that's how I, that's where I'm at anyway. Mm. It makes me wonder if the, if the strained relationship wasn't just between Alfie and ownership, that maybe there's a strain between Alfie and Pierre Dorian. It's possible. Anything's possible, <laughs> but it's just smart business sense. You know, if there's an opportunity in the new world order to get Alfie back in the fold, that would just be just a, a sign that, you know, things are being repaired between community and team. And we know the team itself, the players, the fate of the team, they're just going to get more and more entertaining. So things will improve in that regard. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's just a case of doing the right thing. So if there's any lingering animosity with uh, some member of the organization and Daniel Offertson, fix that, fix that stuff up immediately. It's, it's an absolute no-brainer, Greg. Yeah, here, here, agree. Speaking of Pierre Dorian, he and DJ Smith will have an interesting bit of pressure on them this fall, quite obviously, because now we're at a stage where Pierre Dorian is now, let's call it four years since the rebuild began, right? That's a fair, because they went to, he's been there since 2016 as the GM. They immediately went to a conference final in 2017, then absolutely plummeted the following year and finally decided, okay, it's rebuild time. Might have been a fire sale, you know, disguised as a rebuild. But that's what they did. That was four years ago. And then DJ Smith was brought in a year after that. So he's been here for three years. My question to you, Greg, is who has more job pressure this fall? Is it DJ Smith or the general manager, Pierre Dorian? I, well, my my first answer would be DJ Smith. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I think that no matter who you are, who, whoever comes in and assesses things, if you are assessing the general manager, 
you have to be impressed with what he's done here in this rebuild, with what he's collected as far as assets are concerned. And he's put together a pretty damn good group of players here. So therefore, the assessment now switches to, okay, what has the coach done? Has the coach done enough with these players? Is he the right coach to take them to the next level? Can he get it done? So I think early in the season, obviously the same players are going to be here, maybe one or two more that get found over the course of the summer. It comes down to now, we we think the GM's done a good job. He's got these good players. Now it's up to the coach to do something with them. So from an immediate pressure situation, I'd say it's on DJ to do something with this group of players. What, yeah. Which way are you leaning? Same. I think it's uh, slightly different reasons. I agree with everything you said, but I think you're in a situation where Pierre Dorian's job security is considerably higher. For starters, you know, if if there's wolves at the door, the GM is generally going to shove the coach out there in most cases, not just this one in any situation. And if this team has another terrible start in the coming season, then I think that Pierre Dorian is in a position is more time left on his contract. He'll have, you know, let's say two and a half years left on his contract. And he seems to be at the top of the food chain when it comes to hockey related matters. He's answering to, I guess, three of Melnick's friends who are part of this board and I think you're in a situation where they're, you know, legal experts and they're business and money experts, but hockey-related issues like this, I feel like Pierre Dorian's the guy right now. And so I feel like if, if things go sideways between the start of the season and Christmas and things get really heated with the fans and the media and everybody getting upset, oh, my God, here we go again, another bad start. Mm-hmm. DJ Smith, in my opinion, is absolutely going to be the fall guy whether it's his fault or not. No, but you're right. If if things do go sideways, in what way, like define go sideways? To me, defining go sideways means they don't have a decent record. They're not performing well on the ice. And I go back to my original point that the, the collection of players that has been put together here should do well or should continue to get better. And if they don't, that's not the GM's job who brought those players in. That would be the coach's job who's not getting enough out of them. So it only makes sense that it's going to, the, the most pressure is going to fall on DJ as the coach. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It's, uh, I think everything we just talked about is in yeah. play when it comes to who has more job pressure. And so I think it definitely falls on, on DJ Smith. And uh, so the last 20 or the last two seasons, the first 20 games for the Sens, Ooh. two years ago, they started 5 14 and 1. Last year, they started 4 15 and 1. So. That is not very good, according to my experts. And so he cannot afford another poor season. He is not going to survive another rancid start like that. You just can't play yourself completely out of contention after just 20 games. And regardless of what you think of the job Pierre Dorian has done, it's it's going to be a, it has to be a better team. You know, the, they've got they're going to have health on their side this time. They're not going to have all the injuries. COVID won't be a problem. You're going to add couple of North Dakota kids and Jake Sanderson and Shane Pinto, both fully healthy. Um, you're probably going to add, because everybody says so, and Pierre Dorian's among them, probably going to add a top six forward and a top four defenseman. So this team can't help but be better. I feel like if you or I took the team over, <laughs> it's probably going to be better than it was last season. And it's going to be a short leash. Like, it has to be. You can't, you just outlined those last two starts. Like, if this team starts poorly after five games, to me, it's like, okay, maybe we need to make that change now 
because we because wow. everything you just outlined, we've done everything we can. The scenario couldn't be any better. All the circumstances couldn't be any better this year than the last year, the year before that. Like there's no excuses now. This has got to happen. And and this team cannot afford. You have another 20 first 20 games like that. You know you're not making the playoffs. So it's too late yeah. to give it 20 games, right? It's you got to see results. You got to see them right away. This team's got to get off to a, a really good start in those first five, like four and one or something, or three, one and one or something. It, it cannot afford to, to get off to a bad start. Yeah. And I think they they will get off to a better start and they won't find themselves as far out of the playoffs. Like 27 points is a lot to make up. And that's how far the Sens were back of the last playoff spot this season. I don't feel like they have to do that all onto themselves. I feel like the top echelon, maybe the, the Bruins of the world, like they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. The Capitals aren't getting any younger. I feel like the upper echelon teams will do a little of that for them in terms of narrowing that gap. And that's partly as well because they're going to lose more games to the lower end ones. Mm-hmm. Teams like Ottawa, teams like Detroit, Buffalo, they're improving, you know, with all these high-end draft picks. They're rebuilding and getting better year by year, although it feels like the Sabres are never going to win. <laughs> they're always going to be under a black cloud. But, I mean, you, I mean, you got Power and Darlene just on, you know, first overall draft picks. They, I think, are going to get better and better. So, as the bottom teams get better, that means they're pulling more points away from the top end, and that will help the Sens at the end of the day. So, I don't think they're that far. And so, we can talk about job pressure for the fall. I, I feel like... They'll be okay, but they cannot afford to stumble because DJ Smith is going to be the one that falls. Exactly. Um, so let's start tomorrow. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> Here's kind of a funky story, Greg, in the Tampa Bay sector of the athletic. I believe it was yeah. Joe Smith. He wrote a story about Andre Vasilevsky, and as part of that story, and it was far-reaching, it talked about many things about Vasilevsky, terrific goalie for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who's been to four of the last five conference finals, two Stanley Cup rings, working on a third here. But there was a little snippet of it that talked about how the Sens might have had a shot at Vasilevsky and and may have been interested because Brian Murray, back in 2012, when Vasilevsky was drafted, He set up a meeting with Vasilevsky, as any GM would with most of the first-round draft picks that might fall to you. And that year, the Sens drafted 15th overall. So they set up this meeting with Vasilevsky, and according to his agent in The Athletic, Vasilevsky suffered a major sunburn while being at a water park and was feeling like garbage, so they asked to postpone for two or three days. And according to his agent, he said the Sens sounded disappointed and they never called back to set up another meeting. Which gives you a heavy implication that maybe the Sens had Vasilevsky on their radar and that maybe they canceled it because of a sunburn and a canceled meeting. What's your impression hearing that story? <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking that that um, if the Senators were truly interested in selecting Vasilevsky, if they really thought that he was a guy they would take at 15, then they would have somehow rescheduled the meeting. I think that they probably, you have your list. Um, you know you're at 15. You've probably got a list of five guys in order that you're going to take at 15 if they're available. And if he's outside of the five, yeah, we'll talk to him anyway. But, you know, maybe he was 10th on the on the possible people they were going to take at 15. I just think he was probably a lower priority, and that's all there was to it. Okay, he's not available. All right, 
we don't need to talk to him. It's okay. You know, I, I, I don't think we need to read anything into it. Let's not be saying that the, the senators didn't draft Andre Vasilevsky because he got a sunburn. I don't think that's the case. I think they were probably very interested in Cody Cece, a local guy. When the rankings came out, Cece was right in around their spot. That's the guy we want anyway. This is great. This is perfect. Ottawa boy, uh, offensive defenseman. He's the guy we want. So I think that that probably weighed in on it as well, right? What are you thinking? You you, you think they wanted to take him and got <laughs> decided not to because he spent too much time on the uh, lazy, hazy river or whatever it's called? <laughs> what? <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe it was Calypso. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. no, I think it's, I think the whole thing is silly. It certainly got lots of traction on social media this week. It's a fun thing to talk about. But yeah. what more likely happened was, I mean, I think there's three things at play here for st- in, in terms of why the Sens probably weren't that high on him. I think they had interest, you know, kick the tires. But when the meeting gets canceled and then you get busy leading up to the draft and you know you've got 10 guys ahead of Vasilevsky, you probably just, they probably just went, oh, screw it, we yeah. aren't taking him anyway. So exactly. the three reasons that I think Brian Murray would have no interest here in that it's a rarity for starters, in general, for any GM to draft a goalie in the first round. Would he get one, maybe two every year? It's, it's yeah. a rarity there. So there's number one. Number two, Ottawa didn't need a goalie that year that badly because they already had Craig Anderson, they had Ben Bishop, they had Robin Leonard. Brian Murray's looking to delete goalies at that stage of the game, as we all know. Good old Corey Conacher. Oh, my God. And lastly, Brian Murray and Russians did not mix. He was the GM of this team, I think it was 2008 to 2016, something like maybe 07 yeah, to yeah. 2016. Um, in that whole time, drafted one Russian. And that was in his very first draft. He'd only been named the GM, taking over for John Muckler five days earlier. And the Sens that year only had four draft picks. They end up very late getting Ruslan Bashkirov. And you're the GM coming in. You've only been on the job five days. I'm pretty sure you're going to defer to your scouts at that stage because you probably don't know jack squat. You know, you get a little preparation in the week leading up, okay. But that stage, late in a draft, okay, you get a, get a Russian. After that day, though, Brian Murray was having none of it. He didn't draft one Russian after that. So we really think that Brian Murray was really on track to 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 buck the NHL trend, get a goalie in the first round, uh, get a goalie when you don't need one, and get a Russian goalie when you're not big on Russians. I think the whole thing was absurd, to be honest. Yeah, and, and the, you, you, you could probably sit there and come up with all kinds of teams that didn't interview player X in this year, and oh my God, why didn't they, right? Like, this, this, think about it. There's so many players out there, and like we keep saying, there's, there's, I've got this slot. I've got four or five guys that I think are going to be available here. Why am I going to talk to the guy who's, I think, 12th on my priority list to take at this pick? I don't think that guy's even going to be available. I'm not talking to him. And the, every team's probably got a, a story like this. It might not involve a sunburn, but, but every team would have a story about, oh, we didn't, we didn't even talk to that guy. You know, like Mark Shifley. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk to him. You know, whoever. No, it just comes at a time when everybody who's an Ottawa Senator fan, it's been a month, more than a month, whatever it is, since they last saw their team. And Andre Vasilevsky, one of the most exciting guys in these Stanley Cup playoffs. And suddenly there's a connection between them. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me? 
we could have had Vasilevsky if not for a sunburn and a canceled meeting. No, that really wasn't the case. I can almost assure you that that was not the case. We'll take a time out of the program, Greg. When we return, we'll talk about some of the uh, other comparisons out there. The New York Rangers doing well in the Stanley Cup Eastern Final, up one nothing as we're recording this. And they started their rebuild the same time the Sens did. So what happened exactly? Why is one team where they are and the other is where they are? It's coming up after this word from Jim K. Ford, by the way, celebrating their 40th year of serving Ottawa. And how about the 2022 Ford Bronco SUV? Ready to help shift your perspective and push boundaries on your terms with the newly available manual transmission from the Sa- with the Sasquatch package. Greg Batherson drives a Jim K. Ford Bronco. Looks damn smart in it. Order yours today exactly the way you want it at Jim K. Ford. They're at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans, jimkford.com. And of course, the title sponsor here on the Sens Nation podcast. Thanks to Jason K., Jim K., and everybody over there for being great supporters of the program. So back to business here. As mentioned, the New York Rangers started up their rebuild and announced it publicly, Greg, back in 2018. And that was around the same time the Sens had started their rebuild. And now everybody's looking at it going, okay, the Rangers are in the conference final. They have a chance to win it all. Ottawa's 27 points out of an Eastern playoff spot. Something doesn't work there. What do you got? What do you, in your opinion, why are those two rebuilds so different looking? Well, I think what had to be cleared out is is the first one that jumps out as me. What what had to be cleared out here versus what had to be cleared out in New York is totally different. What you were able to keep as a as a veteran foundation, you know, they they kept Chris Kreider, you know, they kept Mika Zibanejad, they had Lundqvist, and you had already drafted the the, the future, or sorry, Gorgiev. Gorgiev was on the radar. Igor Shosturkin was on the radar, so I just think that they they started from a stronger position than Ottawa did. It, it yes, we they call it a rebuild, but it's probably more like a retool on the go, really. If you stop and compare everything about it, uh, and then there was also the we've talked off the air the 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 free agent situation, and it's New York, right? Like that's your thought on it. Yeah, I mean, Panarin right out of the gate. That's Exhibit A, one of the top players on all the NHL. That's that's an attractive city to play in, obviously. And they've got unlimited funds, so nobody's going to get grinded. You know, they'll they'll obviously try and get everything under the salary cap. That's the rules, but it's not going to be a case of an internal cap like Ottawa has had for many years. So the Rangers were an attractive venue for Panarin to come to. Same thing with Adam Fox. And uh you know, that's a guy that is a New York kid. And when he was coming out of school at Harvard, he basically it was drafted by Calgary and then was traded to Carolina when the Flames got wind of what he was up to. And he told Carolina when he got there, basically, um, I'll go back to school and come out as an f- unrestricted free agent after that. I'll go back to school for another year at Harvard and then I'll be a UFA. So Carolina, they had him over a barrel. They basically traded him to New York. And uh, so that's another advantage the Rangers have there. And they, again, attractive. But I mean, the luck the Rangers have had on top of everything else. So the the Fox deal, I mean, it was a second rounder and a third rounder the Rangers got him for. Like, I don't even think the Rangers thought that that was going to be possible. A second and a third rounder for a Norris Trophy winner last year? It's outrageous, the luck they had there. 
who knew Chris Kreider was going to emerge as a Rocket Richard Trophy candidate? Um, the luck they had at the draft. Alexi Lafreniere, are you kidding me? How many? They yeah. jumped up like, what, 12, 14 places or something like that to get Lafreniere number one overall? Worked out well for the Sens in that they ended up with a very good player in Tim Stutz. The time will tell who the better player is, but still, the Rangers had no business getting number one overall. They got number two overall in there as well with uh, Kako, who's starting to emerge on that kid line. So, yeah, I mean, the, a lot of different things went into it that uh, that gives the heavy advantage to the Rangers. But uh, it's just apples and oranges when you're comparing the rebuilds, not to mention the the, the Sens, had their, you know, they had luck. It was all bad last year COVID and all those injuries they had how much different could that season have been they certainly wouldn't have been 27 points out of a playoff spot if Pinto's not out for the full year if uh, you don't lose Batherson for over 30 games if you don't lose Connor Brown for a good chunk if you don't lose Josh Norris for a good chunk uh, Thomas Shabbat was out for a while it was ridiculous not to mention there's a there's a certain rhythm and, and momentum one gets to a season and to have the season just stop for two and a half weeks during COVID and that postponement. So they had their bad luck as well. So yes, it doesn't excuse at all. I mean, the Sens should be closer. Even after everything we talked about, they should be closer than they are, but it's not, the gap isn't as absurd as it sounds. Right. And just look at the ages, look at the ages of the New York Rangers. Look at how many senators are 24 and under like the future of their team is 24, 23, right? And and you look at the Ranger scenario when they were doing their rebuild, they still had yeah. older, but but not placeholder plugs like the Senators unfortunately ended up with. But really when the Senators started, there was nobody who was older and, and contributing and, and and being relied on to this to, in comparison to the Rangers. The Rangers have brought kids in, but they still had older players around to... Uh, to help them and guide them and insulate them that were the leaders of the team and the better players on the team. So I think that gets overlooked too. Go ahead and pull up a Ranger roster and look at the age of their team. Yeah, they got a kid line, but but the majority of their team is is uh, is much older than the Senator core. Yeah, no, they're in their window to win right now, and they could. So who do you got right now? I mean, we, we're deep in, we're already two, one and two games into the Conference finals. Are you like everybody else with Tampa and Colorado as your pick? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, it's it's uh, Tampa's got a. They'll, they'll wake up for uh, for game two. I mean, I think they were a little the nine day rest. We all know about a nine day rest here in Ottawa. That certainly didn't help uh, Tampa. When I got a, but I mean, I, I had Pittsburgh beating the Rangers for crying out loud, and then I had then I had uh, Carolina beating the Rangers. So I've got now I've got Tampa beating the Rangers. I just I eventually it's going to end for them, and I just I, I figure it's this round. Tampa's Tampa's going to get there, and I have a feeling the final this year is going to be rather anticlimactic. If it's Colorado and Tampa, I have a feeling Colorado's just going to run right over them. But I've learned not to take too much. You know, Tampa has a bad game. They almost always win the next one. I mean, that's uh, it's almost uncanny. Their playoff record with Vasilevsky, obviously between the pipes, their record. I think they're perfect. I don't know if they've lost two in a row in in like three years. Um, so when you look at their situation, I think they're uh, you go back to game one of the playoffs. They lost five nothing to the Leafs in game one in the first round. Everybody's going, "Oh my God, Tampa looks old. They're done." Okay, okay, sure. Close it out today. Team Canada loses in the gold medal game. Uh, it's a shame. 
They had, uh, I mean, the comeback kids in the quarterfinals, they come back from 3-1 very late in the game. In the final, they come back down 3-1 late in the game, and they managed to tie again and force overtime. But it didn't go their way this time in the three-on-three. They ended up taking a penalty, and Finland scored on the power play in overtime to win the World Hockey Championship. It was pretty neat to watch the Finns winning at home like that. It's bizarre to me that a country of 5.5 million people is on top of the world in hockey in both the Olympics and the World Hockey Championships, realizing, of course, that it's not a best-on-best, but it's still damned impressive. But what did you think of the call in overtime? It was Canadian captain Thomas Shabbat, of course, the Ottawa Senators defenseman, who ends up, I don't know, getting a stick blade in a bad situation, and the guy goes down. To me, it looked like an obvious dive. What about you? Well, he got his stick in there, right? It, it was more bad luck than anything. If the if his stick was uh, three inches to the other side, the guy probably doesn't go down. But the worst call was the high stick call. My God, the the call that put them down five on three. Like I, he clunked himself in the head with his own stick, and yet uh, was Sillinger gets called for the for the high stick. It was a terrible, terrible call to put them down yeah. five on three and bang two goals, and it's a whole new. Like, really, I thought the game was pretty much over right then and there. But as for Shabbat, yeah. I, no. I mean, that's just, you know, like, it's, it's a combination of bad luck and bad timing and and just, uh, you know, you stuck your stick in there to poke a puck away and a guy ended up tripping over. Whether he dove or not, uh, he was probably going to go down. Maybe there's a little bit of embellishment, but the guy was going down because of just the positioning where the stick was. Yeah, I thought it was a million percent embellishment that could have been called there. And uh, they did not. And I thought afterward, as Shabbat went to corral the puck, that an infraction was in the process of taking place as he was about to touch the puck. He's being tackled by the same guy. And uh, you could have called that as well, I thought. And as far as the high stick goes, I mean, mean, we know that I hate that call in the NHL where you hack a guy across the stick blade, for example, and he drops it completely. It's almost an automatic call now. But this was just... It was a lifting of the stick, yes, and the, the stick did come out of the guy's one hand, but he still retained it with his top hand, and that the stick came up and hit himself in the face. I don't know. I, I can't imagine putting a team down in that situation, yeah. and it's just unfortunate. It could have been a, if it was a five-minute major call, they could have reviewed it, but because it was only yeah. a minor, they were not allowed to. Yeah, like his, his stick it gets kind of bounced up in the air, and it bounces off the glass and hits himself, bunks himself in the head. Like, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> like if, if it happened in open ice, it wouldn't have hit him in the head. The only reason was because it bounced off the boards and the glass and came back and bounced off his own head. But you look at the replay, the Canadian guy's got white tape on his stick and the Finnish guy's got black tape on his stick. What color tape is it that hits him in the head? Oh, it's a black tape. Yeah. Okay. Then no penalty. Like, holy yeah. smokes. It was terrible. Terrible. Very bad. And they gave the Finnish ref. Um, they weren't Finnish referees, but they gave the referees trophies at the end. I'm th- I'm watching the ceremony. I don't know why I'm watching the ceremony. I was like laughing. Are you giving you giving those guys trophies after what they just did? Come on. What is that about? They always do. That's normal. Yeah, I know. I don't care. After a performance <laughs> like that, cancel it. Cancel it. But Drake Batherson was very good in the tournament for Team Canada. I believe he finished up second in the tournament scoring. So that's two years in a row. You've got a couple of Ottawa Senators in the top two, with Connor Brown being number one last year. And that one certainly ended a lot better with uh, – Nick Paul finishing things off for Team Canada in OT, but you can't win them all, as they say, particularly in a one-game showdown, in a three-on-three. You might as well just, you know, play a game of Plinko and uh, decide it that way. Uh, But Bathurst was good. Holden was fine. 
Thomas Shabbat was good, lots of ice time. So, and DJ Smith thought the whole thing was a very good learning lesson, you know, being around other coaches, right? A guy like DJ Smith at the end of the day, still a a fairly young coach in the NHL and to get some quality time with a guy like Claude Julien can't help but be an asset. For sure. The only thing that surprised me was that Shabbat wasn't on the number one power play. I found that strange. Uh, I mean, I looked up the stats of uh, Severson and just thought, wow, okay, fair enough. So did DJ not have enough clout or did Claude Julien decide, wait a minute, maybe he's not the number one power play guy? I thought that was interesting. It might be interesting to see what happens come come, uh, come the regular season here with what kind of role Shabbat plays. This guy's an $8 million a year player, and the reason he's an $8 million a year player is not for his defense and not for him being gritty in the corners. It's puck carrying, uh, puck movement, anchoring power plays. I'm, I agree with you uh, that that's definitely a major surprise that uh, you wouldn't have him as your number one guy, particularly when you've already acquiesced to the fact that he's one of your top guys by giving him the C and not using him in the power play. That's uh, that's unusual. Maybe yeah. he's dealing with something. You never, there's sometimes stuff lurking beneath the surface where you say, well, you know, know. maybe he's got a hand, his hands bugging him or something. Who knows? But it doesn't make sense to me otherwise. But yeah, it, the, the only thing is that it was a hand injury because he still was leading the team in ice time, right? Right. But having said what you just said, look at his power play stats. Like he scored a power play goal in one of the last games of the season. It was like his first one in, in over a year or something, right? He doesn't exactly he doesn't score from the point. He doesn't have a doesn't have a goal scorer shot from the point. He's got to find a seam, fire a wrister shot from the point. And the more that their power play is set up to uh, work and flank guys, maybe he's not necessarily the guy you need back there. I don't know. Maybe maybe Sanderson steps in and becomes the the guy who knows i just it just yeah. i found it very very at first i thought it was strange then i'm thinking it's interesting and then i'm trying to do a statistical analysis i'm trying to figure it out and and thomas shabbat averaged over uh, a minute and a half more power play ice time per game than severson in, did in in uh, jersey and there and yet there he was so anyway just throw it out there i'm sure somebody could pick up on it turn it into a controversy at some point and you know what? We talked about DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian and the pressure they face next year. I'd say Thomas Shabbat probably going to start to feel some pressure as well mm-hmm. because that's a guy that, again, he's not getting $8 million to be um, a shutdown guy or anything like that. He's there for his offense and and to create out there. He, he's, he's, he's above average but not great defensively. It's all about what he does with the puck on his stick. And the points have got to be better than they've been because – you're looking at guys like Kale McCarr right now. Like he's in that echelon as far as paychecks goes at $8 million a year. You're right there. You should be playing at a Norris Trophy level. You should be getting some mentions as a Norris Trophy candidate. And they aren't coming right now. And the stats aren't coming right now. They're okay offensive stats. They're not $8 million a year defenseman stats. Uh, so there's going to be pressure on him moving forward too. Yeah, like his offensive numbers have not... Like he had the one sort of breakout year there where he... Didn't he get up to 50-some-odd points? Like, I think in his second year, he had 55 points. But it's gone down. It's He's been below 40 ever since. Now, yeah, okay, yeah. COVID injuries, shortened seasons, all that sort of stuff. But just even on a point-per-game basis, it, he's not. I, I don't think he's a all-out, world-class offensive defenseman. He's not that type of guy. So it'll be interesting to see if, if what kind of player Sanderson turns out to be and if somebody else becomes more of the, the go-to offense guy down the road here in the glory years yet to come lots of pressure lots of pressure on everybody and that's how it goes and that will do it for another episode 
of the Sens Nation podcast. A couple of things I want to remind you about. Our website is sensnationhockey.com. Grab yourself a t-shirt, Patreon membership. All those would be appreciated. And of course, uh, if you're looking to advertise it, get your message out in front of Ottawa hockey fans, Sens fans in particular, then uh, then give us a holler. You can contact us through the site, sensnationhockey.com. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at sensnationhockey.com.